you read the first, the English translation of the first verse in Vayikra, right in the beginning, verse verse one, and we will concentrate on that verse. Okay, what does the verse say? He called to Moses, and Hashem spoke to him from the tent of meeting, saying, "Okay, he called to Moses. Who called to Moses? God. And from where did he call to him, Hashem? Where did he call to him? From the tent of meeting." Which, what was the, where, they had a meeting tent, right? What was the meeting tent? What was the tent of meeting? That was the tabernacle that they just created. In the, in the previous section, in the previous section, before, we just started, this is a new book, the book mm-hmm. of, of uh, Vayikra, okay, Leviticus. Mm-hmm. We just started. In the previous section, we learned about the construction of the temple. So Vayikra means he called? Yeah, Vayikra means he called. Okay. So in the previous section we read about the construction of the tabernacle. Now how the Jews built everything. Now what happened after they built it? It says, once they finally put everything together, why did God tell them to build this Mishkan, to build this whole this tabernacle with all the different kind of, of vessels in there, the menorah, the shulchan, the ark, and the why did he tell them to do all that? because he was going to rest in the tabernacle and what happened was once they finished the construction there was a cloud that came down from above and it says that cloud went around the uh, building around the structure and the room itself the tent of meeting what it's called the ohel moed that is the room in where god so to speak met with uh, uh, Moses, that place was filled with the glory of God. It says that Moses was not able to get inside into the Mishka because of the presence of Godliness over there. And uh, the way the Alter Rebbe sees it, and he explains it in his writing, the Kute Torah, he says that Moses needs sort of help in order to be able to come into the tent of meeting. So therefore, Vayikra el Moshe, God calls to Moshe. It's interesting that in the Chumash, in the Torah, we find God speaks to Moses, God speaks to Moses all the time. But it's usually, we don't find this introduction that God calls Moses. It just says God speaks to him. What does it mean that God calls Moses? So this calling is sort of a help to Moses, to Moshe Rabbeinu, to be able to enter into the Oel Moed. What did he need? He met there with God. What did God tell him over there in the Oel Moed? What is it that God communicated to Moshe Rabbeinu? God called to Moshe Rabbeinu and he communicated. That was the tent of meeting. When God had something to say to Moses, to tell to the Jewish people, he would call Moses, and Moses would come into the oil mode, attentive meeting, and there God would communicate to him to go ahead and tell over, give it over to the Jewish people. Now, what happened is in the order, the way it, the way it happened, Moses was on the mountain, on Mount Sinai, okay, till Yom Kippur, that's when he went down. It took him from Yom Kippur till the first day of Nisan, that's about close to six months to build the, to get the gifts, to build the, and to build and raise everything. Finally, on the first day of Nisan, we're coming up just in about a month from now, in the calendar, they finally built the Mishkan, and from that point on, when they met, built the Mishkan, God reveals himself to Moses 
only in the Mishkan, in the Oel Moed. That is the place, the tent of meeting. In the meantime, it was Moses' uh, tent, his personal tent, where God would come with meat with Moses. Moses would give over. So this Oel Moed that we're finding over here is the place of the meeting where God would meet with, with, with Moshe Rabbeinu. Now, just so you know, in the Gemara, there is two opinions. According to one opinion, God had told Moses everything while he was on Mount Sinai. There was nothing new. All these things that we read that God speaks to Moses from the tent of meeting, there was nothing new communicated. It was actually re- a repeat of what God has already told him. God has told Moses the entire Torah while he was on the Mount Sinai. And then later on, what we find in the Chumash by Yikra and by Midbor, God speaking to Moses, those were only repetition of things that already God has told him. Matter of fact, these things were repeated a third time, because in the book of Devarim, that's the final Deuteronomy, over there, Moses, before his death, he is actually reviewing the history, so that's a third time. So they say it was said first at the Mount Sinai, a second time in the Ohel Moed, the Tent of Meeting, and a third time in Arvismoyov, that's after 40 years before Moses Rabbein, Moshe Rabbein passed away. The other opinion says no, that even though God communicated the general ideas on Mount Sinai, but the specific laws that we find in the Torah, we find in the Chumash, Later on, they weren't communicated to Moshe Rabbeinu before. They only were told to Moshe Rabbeinu afterwards in the places where they take place. That's where they communicate. And matter of fact, the Gemara in Zavachim, in the Talmud that we're actually studying now, the Daf Yomi over there, it, it has a practical difference, you know, whether they observe the laws in between when uh, the giving of the Torah until, until God spoke to him in the Mo'ed. If we say that God already told Moses everything, so even though the Torah was duplicated later on, but they already had to observe everything from the beginning because Moses already knew about the entire Torah. If it's actually only in a general way, but the details were revealed later on, then it means that the particular laws weren't known and they weren't observed until the time that they were told. But this was all what was served to the, from the Ohel Mo'ed. Now, I just want to point out one thing. The Aleph in the Torah, you see Vayikra, the Aleph is a small Aleph. You see, it's a small Aleph. When you read in the Torah, it's a smaller Aleph than the usual letter Aleph. We also find in the Torah sometimes a large Aleph. In the word Adam, when it talks about the first man, Aleph is large. And then you have the average Aleph. What is the significance of the small Aleph? What is the significance of the large Aleph? Well, Aleph is the first letter of the Aleph base. Aleph also has the words in it. Aleph has the same letters as the word Pele. Pele means wonder, something which is beyond grasp. The beginning, the Aleph, is something which is higher, really, than understanding. And... uh, it represents, in the terms of the Kabbalah, it represents the level of Keter. Keter is the crown. A crown is above the head. That represents something which is higher than the intellect, something which surrounds the person. The word Aleph is also, we know, Aleph means to teach. 
Aleph Chachma to teach Chachma, which means it's the source of Chachma. The idea here is that Moses, in order for him to be able to be called into the temple, to be able to enter it, he had a contracted level of the Aleph. He didn't have the full Aleph because that would be too powerful for him to be able to uh, come in, to associate, to grasp, and to be part of. So he needed to have a small Aleph. On the other hand, Adam Harishan, the first man, because he was created by God, and before he went through the sin, he was a large Aleph. He was like on the high, he was like at the level of the Keter, level of the crown, which throughout the world, because he was much greater. And this is the meaning, according to the uh, interpretation, that he calls him in. Now, most of the things over here is talking about what? It talks about sacrifices. They took an animal, and they sacrificed the animal. Why did they do that? Why did they take an animal? Well, there's various different circuits of it. But in the uh, Hasidic uh, interpretation, really it's all about taking your own animal that's within you. We all have an animal. There's various kinds of animals he talks about. Sometimes we have an ox in ourselves. What's an ox? An ox is a wild beast. You know, it's a, it's a large beast that could go wild. If you don't tame it, if you don't harness it, it can gore. Sometimes we have a character in ourselves, which is a boring character. And we have to bring it as a sacrifice, which means we've got to control, we've got to harness ourselves, we've got to make ourselves worthy of, in the service of God. Sometimes we have another kind of a beast in ourselves. Maybe a very tame, a lazy, uh, like a, uh, represented by a, a sheep. You know, we say a person who's a sheep, a sheepish kind of person. Which is also uh, uh, not good. It's a, a person excuses themselves. They don't want to do things because they're lazy. They're not sure of themselves. There, all these things that you have to bring them for a carbon. You know, we got to change ourselves. It's not so much about the physical, but changing ourselves. And you know, the Rebbe talks about a lot. You know, some of these these sacrifices they needed to be whole, and they used to inspect them. There should be no defect. A lot has to do with personal introspection. In the Torah, the Korbanos represent the idea of a person searching himself and really making a real sort of uh, accounting and figuring out where, who and where I am, where am I. In other words, am I you know, living up to my potential? Am I really doing what I'm supposed to? Can I do better? You know, first thing starts with being honest with yourself. You know, you gotta, you right. gotta, and if you're honest with yourself, yeah, okay. So, so the thing move, does this tabernacle travel? A what? Does this tabernacle, after it's been built, does it move around? Oh, very good. Now that tabernacle lasted for 40 years with them in the desert. Then eventually when they, tried, when they went through the Jordan, it went with them. But then they had various different stations until they came to the permanent station in in Yerushalayim. So they had, you know, different parts of it. Sometimes they had pieces of it, and until eventually, you know, they built the temple. So this is still the beginning of the forty years. This is still right. In other words, uh, Exodus doesn't. We just came out of Exodus. It doesn't end with it's like just the beginning of the journey through the desert. Right. Actually, in the Chumash we read, it jumps over in the portion of Bamidbar, it, 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 it jumps over uh, 
to the right of ways, um, like a 40 year, a 38 year gap. We read about about the story, and then the Torah will, will in the portion of Chukas and Bamidbar, all of a sudden we're talking about the second year once they left Egypt. So they have one year in the desert, right? They built the tabernacle, then a few months, three, four months, they send the spies and everything else. Then the Jews are punished not to go into Israel for 40 years. Then it jumps over and it tells us what took place prior to their going into the land of Israel. Moses dies. We learn the repetition. Then we have the book of Joshua, which begins where it was left over in the Torah. The Joshua follows the book of the of Devarim, of Deuteronomy, which God starts to take speak to Joshua, and Joshua takes over the leadership from Moshe Rabbeinu, and he begins to lead the Jewish people from there. And especially nowadays, we don't have sacrifices. No. Now, during the time of the temple, there were two sacrifices that were brought every day. Those were mandatory for the uh, general community. They were supposed to bring two sacrifices, one in the morning, one in the afternoon. That's why we do the prayers today. Animal. We do shacharit. Were those the animals? Yeah. Those are animals. There were bulls, actually. A bull in the morning and a bull in the afternoon. Plus it came with a meal offering, it came with libation, it came with wine. On the temple, those were all... Uh, and corresponding to that, we have the shacharit and the mincha that we pray. Now on the holidays, like on... A, on a, or even on Rosh Chodesh and on the holidays, they have additional. That's why we have musaf. Musaf means there were additional sacrifices. And that's why we have the prayers. Our prayers correspond to what they did in the temple. And like I'm saying, even though it seems like a very physical and a very uh, uh, gross in a way, you don't take an animal and yeah, but it had a lot, a lot of spiritual meaning to it. You know, it had a lot of uh, uh, you know, it, it, it resembled and it, 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 it person who brought this uh, was uh, was basically bringing himself as a sacrifice. You know, and the, and the wording and diff- various different wording, wording in the verses allude to that, that it's Mikem, that it's the person himself. And also, it, there is a, 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 a very strong uh, encouragement over here. The previous Rebbe says, Mikem in other words, that we have the opportunity, we have the ability, we can come close to God. He uses the words over here, it says, Kiyakriv Mikem. Mikem means of you. Meaning we have, we've been empowered. Uh, we, if we just choose to, we can't do it. So, because a carbon means to come close, to, to come close to God. A person can say, well, I, no way I can become close to God. <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, I'm too far away. But the verse says, Mikem, it's up to you. That, you know, you bring yourself close to God because no one is too far away and no one can say that they cannot really come close to Hashem. And this is the idea of the carbon, is to become close and to connect to Hashem.